as has been mentioned already, how blessed we are to be able to gather on this Lord's Day, this Sunday, this first day of the week, and to do so with the full intent and purpose of worshiping our God in heaven, and to recognize that in our magnification of His name, that His name is excellent and exalted, and we are certainly privileged to be here today. As was mentioned already, we're thankful for each and every person that assembled with us this Lord's Day morning, our membership, our guests, visitors alike, and we hope that as visitors, you'll want to come back and be with us at any opportunity that you may have. We'd be honored and delighted to have you come and be with us during any of our assembly periods. As you can already tell by the title of the lesson today, we're going to be giving some thought to what Christianity is not. It's not denominational. Now, there are many things that might be developed as a part of that, but our sole goal, our sole consideration shall be to allow the Word of God to present to us the matters of what's involved in this discussion. We really aren't interested in our preferences. We aren't interested in what may be what men may prefer. But what we would want to know, just as Paul declared in Romans 4, 3, what saith the Scripture? And with that in mind, this introductory slide will set before us at least a beginning point. Over the last couple of decades, it has been rather widely publicized that organized religion is on the decline. doesn't matter which particular denomination you're interested in. You talk to the Beth Methodists, the Baptists, the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, it's all similar in the sense that organized religion is on the decline. The numbers are shrinking. You know, it's also true of the Church of Christ. More and more people don't have any interest in religion at all. More and more, you may have seen the recent poll results that fewer than ever before in our country even agree there's a God. They don't have any interest in the church. The things connected to the Bible are more often perceived as old-time stories and fables and nothing more. You see, you and I are in a position where our faith is under attack if in no other way than that. It's more often than not perceived that what religion there is, there are all these different bodies, these organizations. Have you noticed that among those, it seems, that do have interest in religion, there is a lot that seem interested in community churches. We have a few in Putnam County. And they seem to be large, at least in terms of their local number. Why don't we spend some time today reflecting on the Word of God's teaching concerning this issue? Does it have anything to say? And if so, what is it? Could I point out as we start this lesson on this slide that follows, it is not at all difficult to simply use a few verses and know exactly what the will of God is on this subject. It's not that it's hard to understand. It's not that somehow it's beyond our capacity to appreciate it. It's easy to understand. But that flies right in the face of what the current state is in our world. There's no doubt about it as you look at some of these verses that follow. Jesus Christ Himself commissioned His apostles, You go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's easy to understand, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. 
And you even notice that Paul highlighted the urgency connected to it in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And so the urgency was not only easily recognized, but the Lord did something. We find it highlighted in Acts 2, 47. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so it was in the eternal mind and plan of God that there would be an organization, a group of people who would be the saved. Where are they? They're in the church. If you're not in the church, you're not saved. I know that men may have a different viewpoint on that. But if it's true that Jesus adds to the church those that are saved, then it necessarily follows that those who are not in the church and thus haven't been added to it by the Lord are not in that category of the saved. And thus, you and I lift so strongly the banner and purity and absolute excellency of the church. Jesus purchased the church with His blood. In Acts 20, verse 28, as Paul addressed those elders of the church at Ephesus, it was to them that he said, Take heed to yourselves and to the church, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so that church, the church, again, that is the sphere of the saved, it was bought by the blood of Christ. And Jesus, in such powerful and urgent greatness, he highlighted this truth in Matthew 16, verse number 18. While in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus, you might recall, had asked, Whom do men say that I am? And those apostles had four answers. Some say you're Jeremiah, some Elijah, some John the Baptist, some one of the prophets. You see, there was a bit of a uncertainty in the mind of some as to who the Lord was. And yet, Jesus, turning directly to them, said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, in his bold and rather extroverted way, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in direct reply to that, Jesus said, I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so at that moment and at that time, Jesus made a profession, I will build my church. He used this singular word to identify it. Now Jesus at that time used this word you and I would recognize as ekklesia in the Greek. Spelled E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It is a compound word really. It's made up of two portions or two parts. You know, sometimes in English we do that. Over time, words get put together to make another word. Well, that's what they had done. E-K was a preposition that meant out of. The word klesis was a verb that meant a calling. And so to put those together, that word was used to identify a group of people called out of one environment into another one for a particular purpose. Jesus used that word to identify those that would be His followers. They were called out of the world into a covenant relationship with God through me, Christ speaking, and thus that identifies the church. Those called out of the world, out of the clutches of Satan, into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as you and I would easily notice, the Lord said, It's my church. 
He didn't say my churches. He didn't identify any other than a number one in terms of the representative description of that group. At this point, thus, you and I notice what the Lord said was exactly that. But consider some of those other verses. A moment ago, it was just read in our hearing from Romans 12, verse 5. One body is what the text said. The church at Rome was a part of one body. Not only that. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, there is to be no schism in the body, no division, no separation, no other matter that would recognize more than one unity to that organization. No schism. No division. And maybe there's no verse that emphasizes that reality anymore than in the opening pronouncements in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul spoke so definitively about the fact that those brethren were to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Same mind and same judgment. How well does that characterize the current state of religious existence? Isn't it true that Jesus Himself, through the character of the teaching of not only what He said, but what Paul highlighted in such beauty as well, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The words of the Scriptures as it has put that before us, lead us now to observe there is exactly the same number of faiths as there is God's. There is exactly the same number of churches as there is Lord's. There is exactly the same number of baptisms as there is Holy Spirit's. That's what the text says. There is but one. And over the course of time and generations... And perspectives, you and I have come to recognize that things look so different. As this next slide will somewhat detail for us, isn't it a sad reality that there are multiplied millions that claim to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Multiplied millions. They claim to follow the same book, this one. They claim to follow the same Lord, the one we call Jesus. They claim to be headed to the same destination, namely heaven. And yet they teach different things, worship in different ways, profess different beliefs, practice wholly different things, and yet claim to follow the exact same book. How can this be? Claim to follow the words of the same master. How can this be? Claim to be headed to the same place. How can this be? As you can see on that slide, wouldn't we all agree that it's quite absurd on the face of it? At latest count, there are upwards of 40,000 Christian religious bodies. 40,000, and Jesus bought one. He promised to establish one and 40,000. 
the two just do not match very well at all. Isn't it true that the truth of the Lord is absolutely critical? We must not be interested in what men teach, what men practice. We couldn't care less. What we want is, Lord, what do you say? What is your will? We need the church that He established. We need to be faithful to it. As we said, the creeds of men matter not in the slightest. It's somewhat interesting to recollect that these various religious organizations, we all know what many of the at least broadest names are. When you think about those that are Baptists, or Lutherans, or Presbyterians, all we're asking is, what saith the Scripture? Does the Bible teach the existence of the Lutheran church? I might invite each of us to remember that the very gentleman after whom that is named, none other than Martin Luther, he certainly was a giant in terms of the Reformation movement. We have no doubt about that. You may recall that on October the 31st, the year 1517, 506 years ago, he walked through the streets of Wittenberg, Germany and nailed on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, a set of 95 theses that were complaints or criticisms of the Catholic Church. And in the short amount of time following that which he did, he himself made this plea. Do not call yourselves Lutherans. Do not. He recognized himself. I am a filthy bag of maggots. What right have I to have anybody call themselves after me? Luther never wanted a Lutheran church. He never wanted a group of people that would recognize and call themselves by that name. You and I today shouldn't be interested in it either. Our interest is to be Christians, those who follow the Christ. And therefore, the whole idea of denominationalism is so troubling, isn't it? The Lord never purchased but one church. Isn't it true, as you look on that slide before you, we have so many challenges from the Word of God that present before us the beauty of the idea that Jesus did purchase but one church. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church thus presents. It is the absolute testimony of the genius and wisdom of God. And isn't it true that Jesus Himself had said in John 17 verses 20 and following that they all may be one... As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. May I offer this thought, if it is the case, and the Lord said it was, that the unity of those that would follow Him would be the grandest of testimonies that He is the Christ, then what does it say about the fractured character of those who claim to follow Him? May I point out, it is without doubt one of the strongest elements causing all the problems. It's why folks don't believe in Jesus. 
because those that do claim to believe in Him aren't unified. Jesus prayed that His followers would be one. As you and I give thought to the teaching of the Word of God, isn't it sad then that there are many who might be motivated by other things such as feelings or emotion or even otherwise. When you and I are admonished and urged and instructed to be bold and strong for the truth, in Jeremiah 9, verse 3, we have a record in ancient Israel that they were strong but not for truth. Isn't that sad? That's the one thing that should be a great element of movement and incentive for each of us. I've invited you to notice near the bottom of that slide that text in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. As Paul addressed the Galatian area and the churches that were in existence there, remember, there was more than one congregation that was the blessed recipient of that letter we call the letter to the Galatians. And yet in that, Paul pointed out to them, they were so soon removed from the gospel unto another. And then he made this statement, which is not another. And then he highlighted it with this truth. Though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached unto you, let him be accursed. The uniqueness, the singleness of that which we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. The urgency of all of that might lead us to this statement that follows on this next slide. What should you and I then do in the midst of this set of circumstances? The Lord established but one body, and yet we're surrounded by 40,000 approximately. What are we to do? May I offer these thoughts, these suggestions? As the Word of God would set this before us, we must ever understand the narrowness of the way of the Lord. It was that way in the Old Testament. It shall continue to be that way. The majority seem to not have an interest in those things connected to the truth of the Lord. It is forever the matter that you and I noticed twice in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7 alone, Jesus highlighted that beginning in Matthew 7, verse number 21, that there would be many who would make some powerful claims. Would you revisit with me what those were? Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? The Lord Himself taught that there's coming a moment, a time, a moment of reckoning and accounting wherein there will be those who will say, Lord, we labored in Your name. We even cast out demons in Your name. We helped the sick. We fed the hungry. We prepared water and provided it for those in need. We built hospitals. We did any number of matters for the assistance and benevolence of the human family. Only to hear Jesus say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, brethren, we have to understand this. The soul isn't saved by benevolence. The soul isn't saved by these matters connected to service otherwise like that. It's saved in obedience to the Lord. And in light of the church, again, it's the sphere of those that are the obedient. It is a masterful matter to appreciate the loving extension of God to us. 
He established the body and said, here are the terms of admission. And you and I should rush into the kingdom and live there in faith, in excitement, in joy, in service, in faithfulness to the Lord. The church ought to mean that much to us. And yet, in light of what you notice on that slide, you and I know again that there are many who have been motivated by the statements of men, the feelings of people, rather than of thus saith the Lord. I mentioned a moment ago about the fact that these religious organizations often teach different things and practice different things and worship in different ways. Our question should simply be, what has the Lord approved? What has He authorized? We shouldn't want to worship any other way. And there is no other plan of salvation than what He has authorized. And yet men have tried to tinker with these matters, obviously doing so in a very disastrous way. Jesus said, "Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John chapter 8, verse 32, and doesn't it remind us how strongly it is to be noted that our Lord, our Savior, the Messiah, He never built a single denomination. Not one. Not one. If you had asked someone on the day of Pentecost, as that chapter closed, what denomination are you a member of? They would have looked at you and said, what are you talking about? I'm not a member of any denomination. But you just obeyed something. What did you become? Did you become a Methodist? A Baptist? An Anglican? An Episcopalian? A Presbyterian? What did you become? Sir, I don't understand. I'm a member of the church that Jesus established and the one that these preachers have been preaching about. I don't know anything about a denomination. And he'd be exactly right. You and I today realize, though the world may have these in vast numbers of existences, did the Lord approve any of them? Christianity is not denominational. It is undenominational. Because the Lord only established one body. And aren't we blessed to be able to know about it, to learn about it, to be members of it? Oh, how sweet it is to reflect upon the nature of the church and the encouragement that it presents to us to be faithful to that one body. Won't it be something to observe the statement of 1 Corinthians 15, 24? When that statement is written, as Paul describes for us, you may recall the context was the resurrection of the Lord and the witnesses concerning it. And in light of it, Paul said there's coming a moment when the Christ shall hand over the kingdom to the Father. The kingdom, that is the church, according to Matthew 16, verse 19. And so there's coming a marvelous and blessed day when the kingdom by the Son will be handed to the Father, and they will go into everlasting heaven. It's hard to imagine the bliss connected to that moment. Hard to imagine the joy in the hearts of them. When they hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. To borrow the wording of Matthew 7. 
I'm sorry, Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. Our consideration to this point in the lesson has been a reminder to ourselves about the distinction between what the Word of God presents and what the world has come to see in many ways is normal. You may have even heard someone say, but don't you realize we need lots of different kinds of organizations so that everybody can find the one that he or she likes, that it can be the kind of organization in which they're comfortable. Shame on anybody for thinking that. Because the Lord, again, said they need to be one. They need to be one. And He purchased but one. And He rules as king over one. You and I notice that He's called the King of kings and the Lord of lords in Revelation 19, 16. And due to a statement such as that one, it perhaps brings us full circle to give thought to the fact the church is the kingdom. Isn't it a bit ridiculous to contemplate a kingdom that is fractured into so many supposed segments? You and I know any kingdom divided like that will be powerless. It will, in fact, be soon brought to, to basically ruin. But the church has a kingdom, the Lord's kingdom. May we ask of ourselves the following as we close this lesson on this final slide. Religious denominationalism is completely opposed to the teaching of the Bible, to the will of God, and to the will of the Christ. Jesus taught unity among those that would be His followers. He asserted it. He demanded it. We must be of the same mind and of the same strength, of the same teaching, of the same doctrine. We speak the same things. That's not characteristic of the modern religious world. Though, the, though ashamed that is, doesn't it remind us that even Paul highlighted there was going to be difficulties and challenges in light of the disunity among people. I'll close the lesson by reminding each of us to remain true to undenominational Christianity. It will require courage. It will require conviction. Because it will not be a popular doctrine. It will not be one that the vast majority will uphold and approve. But it is what the Bible teaches, and that's enough for you and me. We love the Lord. We love His church. And we love the promises that God has for that body. It may be that in this assembly today that there is one or more that's not a faithful member of that body. Perhaps at one time you were. But over the course of choices and decisions, you've come to live in a way that is not a shining example of faithfulness to the Lord. You need to make repentance of those sins, make confession of them, and come back in rushing love to the side of the one who died for you. He will forgive every one of those errors, whatever they would have been. If you've never become a Christian, though, why not today? The 23rd day of July, 2023, a day that will change your whole eternity. The Lord led you to the church before you leave this building. In fact, it will be instantly done at the time of your obedience to the gospel. We could help you today. We'd love to do it. If we could be of assistance in some way in light of making observation of your belief, your repentance, your confession, and your baptism, we would be honored to assist and privileged to help. If we could be of that assistance and help, Brother Larry has chosen a song of encouragement. 
And we'd like to, again, invite one and all to be a member of the body of Christ, not some denomination, because the Bible doesn't teach about that. But it does highlight the one body of Christ. And if you'd like to be a faithful part of it, we'd invite you to do it now. While together we stand and while we sing.